I'm really not qualified to do, to do a Dharma talk. I've thought about this a lot. I, uh, my relation to the Buddhist tradition is ambivalent. Um, I'm too much of a modern European to, um, to not think that once one has given up the religion in which we grew up, uh, I don't re really need another. <laughs> but the practice is so wide open and, and friendly and humane that these kinds of reservations no longer count. And I have been connected with the temple for uh, a lot, four decades, I think, 40 years. And I've known time. And I've also known uh, Soan, who you know, uh, and, and spent time with him in Mexico. If, if I would say here, I'm comfortable saying I'm a Buddhist, but if you were to ask me in public, I would say, no, I'm not. I, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm not a Buddhist. I would just say, I am happy not to have a religion. Uh, and uh, I am thoroughly secular, and, and so the two, are they compatible, are they not? I, I don't really know. I kind of, it's like a train that runs in two rails at the same time, and sometimes they cross and sometimes they don't. So far there hasn't been a collision, and <laughs> I'm probably too old to actually <laughs> experience an, uh, a, a collision. And in many ways, uh, just the openness of the community here, the willingness to accommodate people is, is in a way, the, the most important thing that we have. In this context, I wanted to thank a couple of people whom I, especially beginning with Ilchu, who has always been here. I come on Wednesdays, every two weeks I try. I'm too old to be very regular, but and uh, various, with various ailments, but Ilcha has always been there when Sana could not be here. Either Sana, while they were also looking after our teacher who was so ill, Sana uh, Kunin, uh, whom I've known for such a long time. And um, Kurim was here, who was if you care to go. I didn't see you, <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's just wonderful to know that some of us have been here for a long time. And Irgun, I, I remember, with Irgun, I remember that we, one event in particular, that we, um, when the temple moved uh, to uh, the old Ukrainian hall, the younger people here will not know where that is, on College Street at the corner, College on Spadina was a huge old hall that then was purchased. And it was monstrous because it was too big. And the last person I want to even involve in this is Ilchu, because they did an enormous amount of work. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and there, um, 
at the retreat, the Yongyang Gomingje 40-day retreat in the summer, we did various, after the uh, uh, meditation sessions, we would then do work around the new building. And I remember doing, um, uh, Irgan and I were assigned the task of cleaning up around the building. And what we had, what, what we found there were rusty pipes, big old rusty pipes. And I remember trying to remove them. And I, believing that one had to do everything with all the effort one is most capable of, was working and soon we have to say, stop, stop, you, you, you cannot do this, this is too much, this is dangerous. And he was right, it was extremely dangerous. <laughs> Those were rusty pipes, cut off edges, and we did not wear shoes. <laughs> 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 it was in July, so I mean, it was absurd, but <laughs> he saved me, and that's <laughs> one occasion. He saved me from injury, and the other time, a similar thing, when we in this huge building where there was an enormous stairway, we were carrying things in, and again, Sunim came up to me and said, Moon, you're too old for this. Drop it. Don't, don't carry big pieces of wood on these stairs. So this is a very fond memory, one of the memories I have of him going back a long time. And uh, so I mentioned and when there was, uh, yeah, Irgun, Irgun was involved in the removal of rusty pipes as well. He kind of was smarter than I. At a certain point he said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And I was still trying to carry on. And of course, the danger of, of injury was great. Um, so, so these, this looking at, at uh, uh, past events. Now I'm, there was a connection to something that I forgot. Um, you all know about this, about being overprepared. I got, I get so, I, for the whole week I was nervous about this talk. <laughs> and I have three different versions. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm confused as to in which one I'm, I'm stuck or uh, I've lost the thread on this. Uh, but I want to say, yeah, um, my encounter with, uh, I'll begin at a different point. My encounter with, with Buddhism was really not with Buddhism, but with Zen. And it was in Germany. Uh, I was born in 38. So when I, um, in the years when we had survived the war and uh, when other people had not, and the bombings and the, uh, the hunger and the, uh, the enormous level of destruction. And uh, then we tried to orient ourselves and began to, to look what we could read. We were not very confident, my friends and I, one of them a very prominent psychotherapist in, in Germany and a doctor. He, uh, we just decided that the old traditions, Christian and so on, uh, were not particularly um, helpful. And so we began to look around and what we came about, uh, came across without having really much help was um, books on Zen and they didn't say Zen Buddhism, they were called Zen. Mm -hmm. 
There was one book by a man called Eugen Herigel. Sorry, my German pronunciation is, is bad. Um, he wrote a book called Zen in the Art of Archery. Mm. He had spent much time in Japan. And I had no, I had no, I did not, did not even know that there was a connection with Buddhism. And then came a different one. I uh, maybe, uh, I see some nodding, maybe you've heard of him as well, Gottfried Durkheim. He became a very prominent um, uh, therapist. I don't know if he was a doctor as well. He wrote a book called The Culture of Silence in which he didn't mention Buddhism either. But he had spent many years <coughs> in Japan and just emphasized the, the contrast to what the, the intensity of, of reconstruction in, in, in Germany, what this meant, for example, just to give you an example, is that the city of Frankfurt, which is now has the one of the largest, three largest airports in Europe, ha was con uh, more of it was destroyed after the war than during the war. How did this happen? They were just raised entire blocks, entire blocks and rebuilt everything. And uh, including the facades of the old city, when you see them now, they are really just facades. They're just, the buildings behind them are completely modern. And uh, so, you know, th there was just this, this sense of destruction all around and we just didn't find that our traditions, uh, Christian traditions, let's say, really responded very well. For one thing, sometimes uh, sections of the of, uh, Christian organizations were implicated in Nazism, for example. Uh, the Protestant church split. Uh, one part of it became they're called German Christians, they supported Hitler. The, the other section was called Confessing Church, they were opponents. And some of them actually were killed by the Nazis. And um, the Catholic Church deeply compromised, that's now public on public record, a couple of books have appeared about Pius XII and the kind of timid arrangement that he made with Nazism and with Mussolini. So there's all this history that is part of me that leaves me uncertain often where to go even in old age. And uh, our condition now, um, just reading a report from UNICEF, is, is such that we have every reason to worry that it, the things will not be easier. Um, and that warlike conditions may strike us more than we thought. For example, there's, I think this, the, the one of the, the numbers they mentioned was that a hundred and close to 200 million children are in, in dire straits, are practically starving around the world. And that there is, and that UNICEF is not in a position uh, to save them. And so our small groups, like our group, you know, others, sometimes some Christian groups, some secular groups, who try to help out in these situations are really quite uh, not the force that is needed. Uh, so I'm, I'm just at age 85, wondering how much has the world improved in all, these, in all this time since my childhood, when we were 
running away from bombs and, and uh, the Kostuka bombers that were strafing the area and would follow you. Uh, you know, they were killing civilians. Uh, those were American planes. Uh, but that was part of the, the end of the war. And uh, I remember running like a hare in fields uh, trying to escape and my mother screaming, come in, come in, come in, into it. We were staying on a farm in the Czech Republic. And uh, I just made it back into the farm when this plane was, you could see the machine gun fire following me. And uh, that world, I just don't want it to happen again to anyone, to anyone. I don't know what the capacity is that we have not to let this happen. In Canada, sorry to be so political, is, uh, is what we are so marginal. I mean, if you we are not in a position to, in a sense, um, influence the United States sufficiently. And I don't want to talk more about that. We're not here for politics. I don't know. But one of the dilemmas I have vis-a-vis -vis our practice here and politics is I don't know. Can one, can one have one foot in one thing and the other in the other? Or it, how, how do we escape this dilemma? A, a social responsibility, political responsibility, vis-a-vis -vis the, the uh, I don't know if you've seen these figures, the enormous volume of nuclear bombs that now makes up the US arsenal more than ever before. Uh, this should not happen. Many things like that should not happen. Do we respond to that? Do we ignore it? Uh, what would be the ethics involved? I'm, I'm reading a lot of people who are sort of the, uh, already looking for ways to combine a kind of modern ethics with Buddhism. So Stephen Batchelor, for example. Uh, I have uh, tons of notes in my, on this in my backpack, but I just couldn't get it all together in, in a very formal way. And uh, he, he's very concerned about this. That is, what is it that would give the, the teachings coming from the Buddha and coming from the Buddhist tradition the force that, it, that, it, that the processes of which we now know that they are profoundly destructive, that they can be reversed or at least brought to a halt and you know that in other ways of, of, of the environmental damage that, that we're all concerned about. So I'm sort of, I have to apologize for being so, it sounds negative or pessimistic, but what I want to say is, is we have a place here where one can start to build whatever, uh, reforms have to be initiated. I, it's not for me to, to, to make any recommendations, I'm obviously. So um, I, I don't know whether it would be good to have some discussions about this and to uh, um, think of what kind of uh, interventions like ethics or ethics oriented, uh, oriented toward ethics would be possible? Or would that 
that uh, would that do damage to other, the regular practice, which of course is the basis of everything. Um, so I'll just leave you with this question. It's a question I have that has accompanied me for 50 years. And I always realized, uh, I, re I mentioned this because uh, Samosunian once said to me, I wanted to work on community development for, uh, in a way, that's where I stayed. <laughs> what I said fits into that. Uh, but it is younger people who have to do it. And uh, I know that he, for example, had come, was an orphan that come out of the Korean War. So we, we shared kind of the, the background of, uh, of a world that was not half as peaceful as many Canadians have experienced it. Um, I'll just leave it with that. It's a bit absurd, the way I end. <laughs> but uh, my three versions that I've prepared uh, will sit in my backpack. <laughs> 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 <laughs>